Good evening, humans. This is your host, Jessie Jones, welcoming you to another episode of the Bedtime Stories podcast. But first, some news. We've decided to change the name of the podcast from Bedtime Stories to The Bedtime Banshee. Now you can tell the cashier adding up your weekly shop. So like, there's this really cool podcast you should subscribe to. It's called The Bedtime Banshee. Anyone who searches The Bedtime Banshee will both find it easily in the iTunes store and be haunted for the rest of their lives. Sweet deal. A banshee is a female spirit in Irish mythology who warns of an imminent death, usually by wailing and shrieking. Other than the addition of the banshee in the title, nothing else has changed in the show. Every week, I give you a strange and possibly disgusting fact about a strange and possibly disgusting place horrify you with an awful idea from the history books, tell you what's weird and wonderful in the headlines, and finally tell you a very disturbing bedtime story. So strap yourself in nice and tight, because this week's episode promises to be one hell of a ride. So on we go with the show. Here's your strange and possibly disgusting tale about a strange and possibly disgusting place. The Aghori Babas, who live in the city of Varanasi, India, are the literal definition of a death cult. They believe that the greatest fear human beings have is the fear of their own deaths, and that this fear is a barrier to spiritual enlightenment. The Aghori believe that by immersing themselves without prejudice in what others deem taboo or disturbing, they're on course to achieving true enlightenment and spiritual freedom. Mainstream Hindus believe that the holy city of Varanasi is where moksha takes place, a transcendent state liberating their souls from the otherwise endless cycle of death and rebirth. People from all over India come here to die, so Varanasi is filled with terminally ill people and dozens of dead bodies are, in turn, cremated there each day. In Hindu tradition, there are five types of people who cannot be cremated. Holy men, children, pregnant or unmarried women, and people who have died of leprosy or snake bites. Instead of being burned in the many funeral pyres that dot the banks of the Ganges River in Varanasi, these unfortunates are set afloat down the river. In addition, people who can't afford to be cremated are also put into the Ganges after they die. So along with watching public cremations, there are opportunities for so-called dark tourists to take a canoe ride and see fresh corpses with rotting, sickly off-white skin protruding from the river's chilly, mist-laden, silver-brown polluted surface. 
The Agoribabas are said to collect these human remains and use them in their spiritual rituals, wearing the corpses, building altars from their bones, and even allegedly consuming the dead body's flesh. The monks use a combination of marijuana, alcohol, and meditation to help them reach a disconnected state of heightened awareness and bring themselves closer to revered Hindu god Lord Shiva. Agoris also claim that they have the medicine for the deadliest of diseases, including AIDS and cancer. These medicines, which are referred to as human oils, are collected from the burning pyre after a dead body is burned. Now it's time to examine an awful idea, or actually this week, an awful inventor, whose ideas affected the course of history. If you had to choose one person who has done the most damage to our environment, Thomas Midgley might be that person. During his life, he did so much harm to the environment that environmentalists say he had much more of a negative impact on Earth than any other single life form. The worst part of it all? He did all this completely unintentionally. Midgley got his start working on the problem of petrol in car engines. Early forms of petrol weren't very dependable, and Midgley found a solution by adding lead into the gasoline. Lead, as we know, is toxic. Even back in the 1920s, Midgley and others knew that lead was dangerous, but they went forward with it anyway. For decades, Midgley's leaded petrol wrecked the environment and caused massive public health problems until lead-free petrol was finally banned in the late 1990s. That's pretty bad, but Midgley was somehow able to trump his first terrible idea. After developing leaded petrol, Midgley got hired to figure out how to make refrigerators safer and less expensive by using different cooling gases. He created Freon, a coolant that soon became commonplace in refrigerators. And it was the first mass market chlorofluorocarbon. At the time, however, nobody realized that Freon and other CFCs were creating a hole in the ozone. Fifty years after Midgley's idea, scientists realized that these gases were punching a hole in the ozone layer, threatening to drastically change the Earth's environment. The hole in the ozone layer was ultimately traced back to Midgley, and it cost world governments billions of dollars trying to fix it. So no matter how much you've messed up this week at work, just tell yourself, at least I'm not Thomas Midgley. Now for the strangest story making the headlines this week. Two candidates named Hitler and Lenin are facing off in a small town mayoral election that has taken an unusual twist thanks to their surnames. Hitler Alba Sanchez, who has previously been mayor of Yungar, Peru from 2011 to 2014, is standing as a candidate for the We Are Peru party. Sharing the same name as Nazi leader Adolf Hitler, he's running for office under the slogan 
I'm the good Hitler. But to become the town's mayor again, he'll have to defeat a candidate called Lenin Vladimir Rodriguez Valverde. Hitler claims his father had had no knowledge of the Nazi leader and had simply given him that name because it sounded foreign. He said he'd considered changing his name several times, but in the end, he decided to respect his father's choice, saying he would have felt bad. Hitler said he knew nothing of his opponent, Lenin Valverde, and suggested that his opponent had been chosen by his political enemies simply to create controversy. The Peruvian Hitler claims to share none of the Nazi dictator's ideas, although he did recognize an affinity with German culture and said he liked to quote Goethe on his Facebook page. It remains to be seen whether Hitler will triumph over Lenin in the hotly contested political battle. Now, it's time for tonight's bedtime story. A tale so vile and horrifying You'll spend the rest of the week thinking, Oh God, why? Just... Why? Which is the general kind of effect we go for here on the Bedtime Banshee podcast? This week, we go back into the late 16th and early 17th centuries to examine the life of the Blood Countess, Elizabeth Bathory. Bathory was born in 1560 in a quiet, idyllic area of Eastern Europe called Transylvania. Perhaps you've heard of it. Her family was a very distinguished line of Transylvanian nobility. Her uncle had been the King of Hungary, and her cousin Stephen Bathory, the Duke of Transylvania, was on excellent terms with the infamous Vlad the Impaler and to this day remains a much-beloved war hero throughout his homeland. Of course, as is the case with pretty much every royal family in medieval Europe, the House of Bathory was also prone to alarming bouts of inbreeding. As a popular Middle Ages saying goes, if thou cannot keepeth it in thy pants, keepeth it in thine family. A couple of generations of squaring off the old family tree are bound to produce a few creepy weirdo cousins along the way. So while Elizabeth had plenty of illustrious leaders, warriors, knights and heroes in her bloodline, she also had a drunken, lecherous, psycho sex fiend for a brother, an aunt who was a lesbian witch, and another uncle who was a devil-worshipping alchemist. Elizabeth herself was raised as a Protestant, which to a lot of folks in ultra-Catholic 16th century Hungary wasn't a hell of a lot better than being a goat-sacrificing Satanist. It didn't help her cause much that in her youth the girl was prone to epileptic seizures and what contemporary sources like to refer to as fits of extreme rage. Despite brief moments where she went batshit bonkers with a meat cleaver and started swinging wildly at anything that moved, Young Elizabeth taught herself to speak Greek and Latin, and was one of the few members of the Transylvanian nobility who bothered to learn how to read and write. As was the typical case back in the Middle Ages, 
Battery was engaged at 11, got pregnant out of wedlock at 14 while engaged in horseplay with a local peasant boy, and at 15 married Count Ferenc Nadasdi, a man affectionately known to his cowering, disemboweled, armless enemies as the Black Knight of Hungary. The Blood Countess and the Black Knight ruled over a castle that can only be described as haunted, forbidding, and probably quite drafty. The happy couple had a fiefdom of 17 villages stocked to the brim with hapless peasants with whom they could pretty much do whatever they wanted whenever the hell they felt like it. Like any typical marriage, Elizabeth's husband was gone on campaign a lot, fighting in those endless wars against the Ottoman Turkish Empire that Eastern European kingdoms seemed to constantly have been involved in, and Elizabeth spent a lot of time home alone in the castle, with only an army of young toy-boy lovers and obedient servants to keep her company. When having people feed her, wait on her, and satisfy her every need any time she wanted got boring, as it often does, Elizabeth started sending letters to her husband, asking him to tell her the gory details about all the sweet, sweet torture methods he was using to extract information out of his prisoners. His responses got her so excited that she then decided she'd test them out on people she'd kidnapped from one of the villages under her domain. At first, it was average, run-of-the-mill stuff, beating the seven colors of crap out of servants with red-hot pokers, pouring honey on local peasants and tying them to trees in the woods so wild animals would eat them, having gypsies sewn up inside dead horses. Actually, these were all pretty common punishments meted out to peasants in the 16th century. But together with the Black Knight, Bathory really expanded her torturing and murdering repertoire. It was a good bonding exercise that helped Elizabeth stay close to her beloved husband while they tried to make their long-distance relationship work. He would send her suggestions for elaborate bond villain style torture devices, and she'd write him back and let him know how it went. You know, it's kind of endearing. The Black Knight died in 1604, and his death somehow sent the 44-year-old Bathory completely off the edge. In case you thought she might have already stepped off it, no, she got a lot worse. What the Blood Countess was most famous for was the accusation that she used to take baths in a large porcelain tub filled with the blood of virgin girls, in the belief that it would keep her young forever. According to the story, the idea started when Bathory slapped an unfortunate servant girl. She got it into her head that the blood that landed on her skin worked like some kind of moisturizer. So her next logical step to investigate this was to spend a couple of nights a week sitting in a candlelit, blood-filled bathtub as a means of keeping her skin young and her good looks eternal. Of course, there was no Botox in the Dark Ages, so a girl's got to do what she's got to do to look good. She was also known for biting chunks of flesh from her victims, and one unfortunate girl was even forced to cook and eat her own flesh. Bathory was able to get away with her crimes for 35 years, mostly due to the fact that she was only torturing and murdering the peasants on her land, and everybody knows that nobody really gives a rat's ass about peasants. Eventually, Bathory got a little too big for her bathtub, 
and started executing members of the lesser nobility. Unable to turn a blind eye any longer, the Prime Minister of Hungary sent a team of Abraham van Helsing priests to assault her creepy castle. They staged a raid in the middle of the night on Christmas of 1610 and discovered a scene described as too monstrous to be recounted even at her trial and forcibly took Bathory and her accomplices into custody after a brief struggle. Members of the Blood Countess's staff were tortured for confessions and then buried alive and Bathory herself was barricaded inside a small prison room in a remote Slovakian castle. Depressed that she wasn't able to torture anyone anymore, Elizabeth Bathory died by starving herself to death. She was found dead on August the 21st, 1614. The 54-year-old Blood Countess is believed to have killed somewhere between 600 and 1,000 people during her lifetime, making her the most prolific serial killer in the history of the world. That brings tonight's show to a close, and you to a shivering, sniveling wreck of a human being. Remember to keep the bedside light on tonight, and every night. Join me again, same time, same place, next week, for another installment of the Bedtime Banshee podcast. Remember, if you enjoyed the show, please rate it on iTunes. And if you didn't enjoy the show, the Bedtime Banshee is coming for you in your dreams. (laughs) 